0: Welcome to the J3 University Podcast. Each week we bridge the gap between science and in-the-trench experience or physique enhancement. I'm your host, John Jewett. Let class begin. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the J3U Podcast. I'm your host, John Jewett. With me is Luke Miller. And once you go big on PDs, can you go back? That's the question we're going to dive into today. I wanted more. I was like, there's all some things I come up with, but once you fill it up, can you take it out? (laughs) So, yeah, it's a conversation around guys have used high amounts of PDs or girls. The same is going to apply here is use that amount before. Does it still work? Can you dial back the dosage and get the same effect? Or could you get a better effect? And just kind of what's the situation around that where, where it applies? And it probably first starts with like the why. Why yeah, are I- it's even a, to- a topic of conversation? I think for the, the obvious reasons, but um,
1: in case you're wondering, there's a few. Mm, yeah, I think, um- I think habits of coaches over time is kind of where some of it comes from so like they've nailed it with x client who use x amount and so this starts to guide their decision making across their clientele across the board no matter the experience level or the level of tissue um, and so this is kind of where I think one of the directions that you get a lot of this comes from um, is you have one good experience as a more anecdotal based coach and that Kind of start to purvey itself across coaching culture within their little sector
0: i didn't even think about that that piece of it how that even becomes a thing uh yeah usually that is the the playbook of that coach right um yeah. i'll say like that was what how i was exposed yeah like when i was coming up it was all right this is my coach and this is what you do to get your pro card it's like, wow, this is more than I've ever taken. I got more results than I've ever had. Go figure. Right. But then also that's like, you only know what you've been shown. So when you coach people, then it's like, well, this works really, really well. Like I know from myself, and then you give it out to all your other clients. Yep. <laughs> Lots of issues around that. Cause then you don't really understand the rationale. Probably the coach that gave it to you didn't either. Just like hey, just <laughs> throw the kitchen sink at it. It's like, Hopefully something works and, and sticks there on the wall, but um, considerations in mind. So if you have a yeah. client that comes to you and they're on really high amounts of gear and you're like, this is year one or two for this individual, they're in their 20s maybe, they are like, well, what does this mean when you're in your 30s? Okay, this is this is something that we need to adjust because we can't do this for the next 10 years in bodybuilding. Then at, then at the same side, that coach is not only about health, but also, hey, if you're not doing all the other variables correctly, you really still need this high amount of, of gear in place. And potentially that amount of gear is masking the poor variable c- control of the other things, right? So you're not nailing nutrition <laughs> and training and you're using all this gear. It's like, uh, we we'll just get the basics in place and pull back on gear
1: yeah i think this is this dialogue is where i see a lot of this happen and like where you can actually pull out more from less Which we'll dive into a little bit deeper as we beginning of the conversation is like there there's almost like a when we talk about what model gets used low medium high risk obviously we need to look at all the need that's associated with each one but in the context and the situation in which they're used but there's also like a i'm not finding the right words for it but like a level of execution that needs to be present in order to warrant the deployment of compounds at this level and it's like if you're not making the most of recovery capacity recovery metrics training and the details of training nutrition and the consistency of nutrition it's like man you're not even warranting the the ability to be able to use this at its fullest capacity you know
0: yeah i mean this is and I guess that goes to, to my to the other why, because you're going to be able to gain so much more runway, getting more um, out of less. And I know that's the same as counterintuitive. More from less is not a thing. More does more, right? Um, <laughs> but, but like, you know, I explained to someone and like if, if you had someone that came in, you were, you were a doctor, your patient comes in, right? They have high blood pressure, they're overweight. They eat fast food every single day and not the salad at Chick-fil-A. And, you know, they're, they, they smoke and they don't exercise. You're like, all right, listen, you got to do all these things and change your lifestyle and you won't need this blood pressure medication. they are like, I'm not doing any of that. Give me the blood pressure medication. They need <laughs> the Maximum dosage to get an effect. Right. Yeah, um, yeah. That same person five years later, they're like, oh, I got to change this stuff. Um, they now like, they change the diet, they quit smoking, they start exercising, lo and behold, they can like cut their blood pressure medication in half and get the same effect out of it. People can work the exact same way. When you think about it, you have someone that's young that they don't sleep how they should with routine. There's, they work multiple jobs and they're like training isn't on par nutrition. They're like missing meals. And sometimes they just have to double up and eat the fast food meal. And they're having to mask all that with a high amount of PDs to get the effect. Once you dial that in, absolutely, you could pull back the dosage and yeah. get the same, um, if not more, effect out of it, just like our guy that needs his blood pressure medication.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think I think this is like, because we, we always seem to relay back the situation to blood pressure medication, whether it's training volume or PD. Oh, I think it's, I think it's a more common situation than people realize, right? Because I think there's a psychology component to this too. We coach a lot of people who are very type A and very like, I'm going to do whatever it takes. Not understanding that doing whatever it takes potentially entails taking that progression time over time alongside learning as a client how to nail all these other variables well, because there's certainly a learning process in executing at a very high level when it comes to consistency and nutrition, consistency and training, learning what you need to learn in order to execute at a high level within the, on the training floor. Um, and I think that if we more so look at the approach of, I'm going to do whatever it takes, leading into learning as much as you can as a client in order to execute at that high level, we'll start to run away from the dialogue of doing whatever it takes leading to this high community usage, more so creating better athletes that are better athletes over time.
0: Yeah. A lot of times when I hear the, I'll do whatever it takes coach. It's, it's a great, it's a great mentality. Um, I, I be the same way. Like you want me to train to death. I would, I could, would do it right. You want to take all yeah, it, yeah. I'll do it, whatever it takes. Right. coach? <laughs> but at the same time, not like, all that, all that it takes does not mean better. And a lot of those individuals see like, like overtraining issues are present. Um, they won't take rest days to pull back. They're, they're ones that will do even extra cardio sometimes or cardio harder than you intend them to do. Uh, or there's individuals that like maybe they're even taking more than what you want them to and driving more systemic stress. So it's not always harder and more is better. And yep. so there is a, a balance to strike with, with those individuals, but the mentality is great of like, hey, I'm a I'm a workhorse. You won't hear me complain. Um, there's like even problems ar- around that, and the balance to find with with those type of clients too.
1: Yeah, for sure, absolutely.
0: So yeah, so with you know with the psychology of it, like like you mentioned. With those individuals, that's tough to reel them back in because they have the all mentality. Take more. Um, why don't I just get there faster and I'll take take the gear. I'll just learn it as it comes, but I'll still get the result. And yeah, fair fair play. Like uh, you will. Um, it's just short sighted. I, I think it's an immature output uh, outlook on on your competitive career because. It's still only looking at like, hey, your next show, is sixteen weeks. I just need this pro card. I'm all in. Give me all the drugs. Um, but it's like, oh, you got a pro card. Then you like, you jumped out of your pond into the ocean. You're like, oh man, what do I do now? It's like, yeah. well, you did everything already. It's like, oh, okay. <laughs> uh, now it's just more. I <laughs> uh, should have like Keep this out, out a little bit more. So, I think maybe it's even this culturally now our society is so fast paced and you want it tomorrow. And it it used to be like, there's a more of a reality around pro cards or pro wins. All this is like a year's endeavor, right? Not year endeavor. Yeah. So the idea is like, oh yeah, two years, I'll be like at the Olympia when really it's like, man, six plus years, maybe for a pro card. It's just not like that though, because pro cards are more easily obtained. Um, Yeah. So I think some of that may, maybe has driven that and the patience part is not there. Um, patience to, for one, to achieve high, high success, but also to pace out th- those like yeah. mutation of something that can put you at high risk and it'll cut you short if you think about how long you're going to be doing this for.
1: Yeah, and I think potentially with the popularity of the sport ever rising and probably at its peak it it's ever been, um you are catching more individuals who are genetically capable of the quick rise whether the compound usage is high or not and so we're having more examples of these people three or four years into their training career like winning a pro card and then winning a pro show and then making it to the olympia and because there's more evidence of that there's more belief that that should be me um not necessarily realizing that there is going to be a discrepancy in genetic capacity between athletes. And then the expectation is like you get three years of your training career and you're not doing the same things as that individual. And then it's just go from there. So um, I think one of the big things kind of, as we start to dive in is like, what do we do? Like how do one of the big things to discuss within this is like, how do we take a step back with an athlete and, and start to map this out where we can still maximize progress, potentially discuss where compound usage at a higher level could be needed more than others. Um, Because I do see the association, I know you see this as well, like 18 weeks out, contest prep is here, take all the drugs and make it happen. And it's a little bit backwards when you think about what's actually needed to move a physique up the next level and then what's actually needed to successfully complete a contest prep.
0: Yeah, so when we are, looking at deployment, I think that's where I've had had clients come to me before. And they're like, wow, we're on prep. I've never used so little drug and I look better than I ever have. It's like, okay, we have to like put this into context for people because it's not, I, I will say like more does more, right? But in a prep scenario, you have to understand that environment of what you're trying to do with PDs and truly it's just muscle retention and mm. as someone that is you know i'm all in coach where do you stop with that and so a lot of guys are going like a little bit extra to make sure you, you cover all basis and so it's like how much can you pull that back on prep to do the job of what you want it to is just retain tissue and you can pull it back quite a bit and make that job happen and mm. at some point you're not gonna be in a position to build tissue on PrEP. And so you just have this high anabolic load, not being as productive, but still driving the stress. So it's it's trying to find that line of where you're just retaining tissue and you're also not driving the stress that you need. So a lot of times you're able to pull people back quite a bit on a PrEP when in the past, they use the most on PrEP when it's just the wrong rationale of what the the drug is trying to do on. Yeah. You know, I think that's, that's one situation where you can pull someone back and they might have a perception that they're
1: getting more out of it. Yeah. I think, I think there's, I've almost included this as a part of the needs analysis nowadays. It's like, what is the level of experience and level of tissue this athlete carries And then what is the the PD level look like from a history perspective? Because during a contest prep, like I know that, you know, the the peak doses that they've ran, if it's the situation where it's always been during a contest prep where they run the most, I'm not going to need that much when it comes to retaining tissue across the prep. And there's an easy way to scale that back where we're, scaling it to just the amount where we're watching that performance continue to to rise in or hold across the prep where we're retaining tissue all of this stuff i think where it gets a little bit blurry is potentially in the off season when we're trying to move someone's physique up another level where we could potentially warrant a little bit of a higher compound load than what we're running in contest prep and finding where that escalation of that need is going to allow that athlete to uh, accumulate tissue to a higher level Um, because with with more tissue and more experience obviously the rate of tissue gain is going to be lower and we're going to need stuff to be able to drive that that doesn't mean that we're going to just throw all the drugs at it from from the very get-go and need to take that time to escalate up and find where that rate of progress comes for that athlete
0: yeah so i guess man what does that actually look like for someone and that's what i'll usually ask is like what Previously, have you done what was like, if I can look at pictures like around pre and post of that season to get an idea of like, what that progression was, that can help. Um, it's, it seems easy to pull apart the variables once you see it all laid out. And then within their first week, you kind of know too how this works. Yeah, yeah. They're like, okay, there's there's gaps here. And even how they describe things, you'll pick up and like, all right, they're not fully on it. Or they'll um, send you like the meal plan. They're like, ah, I usually follow this on most days. And like, um, <laughs> okay, what is <does> that? Mean? <laughs> um, so yeah, it's, it's like, okay, that's the dosing that they were at that they ran. Um, I, I, I can at least run that if I know there's variables present, or I could dial it back and try to improve the other other variables and then escalate it up. I think where we see in the off season is that for most people it's like week one all the gear goes in and there's it makes it hard to assess like what's that doing except a lot because you throw in like two grams in week one it's like body weight jumps up five pounds like strength's progressing along you're like oh wow this is doing everything you want it to then it seems like eight nine weeks later you're just like completely stalled and like what do you do now it's like well gear's already at the ceiling like yeah i know uh how do we <laughs> more progress and then it's also oh damn lab markers start to look crappy at like 10 12 weeks it's like oh we need to pull back because of that so it's just cycle planning so that doesn't give you a great assessment and it runs you into a wall so it's like off season like you know what the previous year was we could start a little lower than that yeah let them ride for a few weeks and see what it does and then escalate them up based on that, to where the, we can find where their peak dosing is, and that's that's like you know the first few months of an athlete. Uh, once you have that data, you're not having to do that every time. Like I'll know yeah. with Luke, like hey X amount is what works for Luke. We know we need to get up to X amount, and then as you know, say Luke gets gets bigger, and will that will probably need to move up more. Um, yeah. Same same with the contest prep it's uh, week one. You don't need to throw everything in because you end up with the same issue. And I'll especially see on prep. Like, I think it's easier on prep because you'll have people where they're like, their body weight doesn't change, but they're like getting leaner and their gym performance is like skyrocketing. You're like, you definitely don't need more drugs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's, yeah. Um, that's, yeah.
1: that's
0: a clear one. Yeah.
1: yeah. I think, um, I think something to consider too, is like, understanding the the level of the athlete from like what this means for the athlete to um potentially helping guide some of that decision making um this is this is one that i'll discuss is like you're working with someone who makes a living bodybuilding right versus someone who is just kind of coming up the ranks to their second regional show it's like man there's there's cards on the table it may be risk that's being warranted to take for that athlete that's making a living competing and trying to compete for the olympia or go to the olympia versus the, the person that's the, the second regional athlete and a lot of this just comes down to accurately assessing the need of the athlete from a overall experience level and a tissue level but we doesn't mean that we don't stray from the concept of escalating up to find the need of the athlete it's just we have a little bit more of a better understanding of the basis that that need may be higher or is going to be higher for that athlete versus the other one Um, and again, genetic capacity is going to be different, right. For, for each individual, but it still gives you context. And and as you're walking through this, um, what that's going to look like.
0: Yeah, that's That's a good point because I've had people ask like, what about the pro level? We had someone ask about this, like the, what about the top 10 Olympia cycles? What does that look like? And some might be on par with what you think it would be, but others would really surprise you because those are like the genetic elite individuals. They respond like crazy but also they like rise to the top and they add that size on quick like a lot of those guys were top pros within three to five years of doing this so they've already spent their time of like where they really had their big growth spurts um yeah and so at that point some of these guys just don't need more size and that's a different scenario because you're not having to push up higher to new limits you're simply maintaining which Requires less. So, some guys might not be using a lot anymore when you see them report that. And you need to put that in context like, all right, so and so, or like, let's use John. John says he only uses like 100 milligrams a week. <laughs> Bullshit. Okay, whatever. Um, John's been 12 for three years. It's like, ah, okay. You've been the same relatively, maintaining that size. But what would you do when you grew a lot? Like, that's kind of the question you need, you might need to frame with those people, but also have in context like, we just discussed you know what were they masking poor variable implementation with that gear usage but just because someone is a pro it doesn't mean that they are advanced in all areas either because we get pros that we coach that they still have a lot to pull out from the variables and that's our job to make sure we can find something like that to bring up and don't be wrong there's all the individuals that they nail it on every front um but even at even for myself, like I still find areas to, to improve on. I've been doing this for a while and at a high level. So there's always something to improve on. Um, I think it is to say though, there is the individual, right. That implemented high gear earlier that comes to you that still nails everything.
1: Yeah, there definitely is. There is. And this is a hard client to work with because everything that they've had set up from like a life perspective is leading towards that end goal. And you said this more than once on this podcast, more does more, right? Um, and it's so like, it's it's a hard psychology to discuss with like, hey, like we need to look at this for the end goal over the long term. Um, and where does that lead us over time? Um, and potentially showing where the setup that they have right now is lead, has shortcomings from a perspective of like the concept that you mentioned about, being 10 to 12 weeks in and seeing lab markers already in the phase, it's like, man, if we take that phase and we make it 20, 21, 22, 23 weeks, it's like tissue only accumulates so fast. We're able to be in a surplus and grow and, and drive the variables towards tissue accumulation for 20 to 24 weeks versus 10 to 12 from a health market perspective. It's like that's a better athlete at the end of the year.
0: Yeah, it's. Uh... I'll say, like, with that individual, like, if they played all the cards, like, man, they train really hard uh, with a, with appropriate, like, execution, they nail their diet, like, everything's been a part of, it. they use that amount of gear, they've already pulled a lot of the progress out, it, it almost does just take more to keep them moving up, if that was the need, and at, at that point, if you're not at the high level, you're like, hey, this is going to go really slow at this point, it's like, oh, man, I'm still don't have a pro card, like, uh, should you keep going for it because you're really running a high risk model here. Can't do this for like 10 plus years. So right. the decisions have to be made. Now, if you're like, Hey, I'm, I'm going to Olympia every year. It's like, all right, well, this is what it is. Like, you know, th- you're at the top of the game and you're taking high risk. Like that's just kind of par for the course um, for some people now, yeah. like, like you're saying, Absolutely, we can try to improve and lower some of that risk by just what has been preached in the past. Like the area under the curve of gear use could be the same, rather than three grams over ten weeks. This is fifteen hundred migs over, you know, twenty weeks, um, slowly escalating up, um, or you know, something. Up, just to give the example of it, um, a lot of times we won't see like prophylactic drugs in place. Also. Yeah drug selection might not have the best rationale or using like Nangelone and train all off season or something. Um, watch other podcasts and you don't know why that's a problem. <laughs> and and that person sitting
1: there. That's like, fuck, that's me.
0: <laughs> yeah. And so it's like, Oh, okay. This, this makes a really, really high risk model when we could get the same type of progress with manipulating like total gear. might dose might be uh, the same. Uh, but the, the risk could be a little bit less so there's yeah. still areas to pull out for that individual but realizing like hey tissue accrual for that person it's going to come really slow so it's time to have like conversations of where they're at competitively and career-wise and what's the duration uh, that you want to keep doing this for so
1: yeah absolutely and I think that that's an important conversation to have and understanding that even though we're, we're sitting here with this client, pulling out these things like prophylactic, spreading out the area under the curve that may still uh, allow us to do this better, it's still a higher risk model, right? And and, and and there is an end of the runway to that. Yeah,
0: and the same applies, uh, maybe I mentioned earlier, for females
1: as well. Uh, yeah, yeah. And mm-hmm. this, the general discussion of like, you know, running a high risk model with a female and what that looks like is still going to be fairly similar. It's still, you know, area under the curve, total androgen exposure, um, dosage relative to time and figuring out where that need for the athlete arises. The, The complicated one is the situation on the female side with the athlete who wants to be an Olympian, but still wants to have kids on the back end of it. And it's like, we've we've had a whole podcast on this where it's like disassociating that these two are opposing goals um, and and being real and objective with the conversation of expectations that you should have with a female athlete around that.
0: Yeah, it's tough. I think with male or female, it's just the goal is more immediate and the other Uh is very long distance away. And so you're like, kind of put the blinders on and just get hyper-focused on your goal that's right in front of you. Like you know what, I'm just gonna hit this, and you just don't think about it. You're like, it, it'll it'll be fine, like it'll work out, and you don't put as much thought into it. And until you're in the reality of it, when you hit your goal, then you're like, wow, I wish I really had kids, or dang, I wish I didn't have like all this cardiovascular disease. <laughs> uh, and so you just have you have to try to be mature about it and realistic, and, and think of what do you need to do now. Yeah, um, it's it's hard, right? Because oh gosh, when I was 25, it would be a lot different than what I would tell you than when I was 35, as far as like maybe having kids, you know, for individuals. Yeah. And I think that's one piece of it. Like you almost have to protect your your athletes a little bit because a lot of them aren't even mature enough to have those conversations with themselves. Like, there was someone just on the Jtu forum asking about like 21 year old female using PDS for the first time. It's like, man most at least me at 21 and most other 21 year olds has minimal responsibility with their own bodies to make those decisions like you need to really inform this individual of what's going on and they don't they're going to feel invincible and do it anyway potentially <laughs> so yeah that's the best you can and, and have that client buy-in to where you can give them a few years doing this. Make sure they don't want to do it. I see a, a female that just fades out out of a year because she's got bored with it. Um, so yeah, it's uh, on, on your on your end as a coach to make sure you can also advocate for your client's health long-term, fertility long-term, because they might not even be in a position to care about it, but later on they, they would thank you for it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think that that's kind of like a good a a good overview of like the potential situations which you see it. And I think just laying it out for the client too, like what does this look like over the the long-term for the goal set and potentially how that could change the overall like long-term career setup, I think is is fairly valuable. And from a client buy-in perspective, this is where the timelines I use become very valuable because what, what I can do is create two and set up what the ideal would be and then probably what it looks like doing it the old way they did it and show how we get more time improving with the ideal versus the old Um, and then that allows me to create the visual for the athlete that allows them to buy in a little bit more as well no that's that's a nice a nice piece to it it's just laying out the the
0: the logical thought process right it's almost it's nearly factual and once you show this, like, how do you, how do, can you even argue with it? But and it's not to prove them wrong. I think it's to empower them because then they yeah. have to understand it so well, they could explain it. And if you can explain that, um, how, how could you, how you, could you disagree? But also you, you have more buy-in as a client because you understand the process and you have that autonomy built in.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, is there anything else you want to cover within this conversation? I think,
0: I don't think so. I know. I know some people might hear this, and like, we didn't give like hard de- definitives on, you know, how much can you drop someone back by, and how, you know, <laughs> how how do you assess them from there, and that that's the the art of the coaching that needs to come in, because yeah. I don't have like you dot it. Thirty percent is the. <laughs> it's, not that. it's going to be this range to work within, and yeah. smart point, but you know, within a few weeks and months, you'll know this really, really quickly if this person is moving up or they're not. And you can adjust accordingly. And you just have to explain well to that athlete what this process is going to look like. So you can get, so you can get maximum out of them in the future. So I think that's how you describe it because when they get with a new coach, it's like really exciting. I'm going to see all this progress. And you like dial back their gear. They're like, I'm not really getting a lot out of this just yet. Like, I know <laughs> way that we're setting you up for like um, growth over years. So it's like just explain it to him. But uh, yeah, that is the, the kind of art of coaching around this is that there there's not set ranges. It's just something you're going to have to work within to, to judge best off the individual.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Cool. Well guys, thank you everybody for tuning in. Question comments, leave them down below on YouTube. And we'll talk to y'all next time.